Thank you, Father, for illumination this morning. We are forever changed by your word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Glory to God. All right, so we've been looking at the theme, the greatest stories ever told. And our approach has been to look at some of the key parables of Jesus while he worked the surface of the earth. This morning, I want to encourage you first you will take notes. You will listen not just with your ears, you will listen with your spirit. Because there is a huge, huge communication of grace that is the desire of the spirit as the word comes forth. Let's go to our text, Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 11 and verse 12. Mark, boy, oh boy, the presence of the Lord is mighty in this place. Please stay connected. Don't be distracted. Mark chapter 4, verse 11 and verse 12. And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know. Unto you it is given to unravel the mystery of the kingdom of God. He says, but unto them that are without all these things are done in parables. Meaning that God's desire for you and for me is not just to know the parables, but to understand the mysteries that these parables communicate. Verse 12, he says that seeing they may see and not perceive. Hearing they may hear and not understand. Lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Wherever you are in the comfort of your homes, I want you to put your hands on your chest and say unto me it is given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. I want you to say it convincingly. Unto me it is given. To understand the mysteries of the kingdom. Glory to God. Alright. So, this morning we are going to look at... And remember, God's desire is not for you to know this story. His desire is to communicate the life that the story embodies. So, let's go first to the story. And then by His Spirit, we will unveil the implication to us as His people. Luke chapter 10, verse 29 to 37. It is a story you know very well. And you'll permit me to read very fast. I want us to pay attention to certain specific nuances as the Spirit of God gives us illumination. But he, now what was the context here? A smart guy had come to ask Jesus a smart question, not with a view to learn. The Bible tells us he had come to tempt Jesus. Alright, so let's pick it up from there. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, who is my neighbor? So that's the question. Who is my neighbor? Verse 30. And Jesus answering said, A certain man, please pay attention. Every word in this story has meaning. And we'll break it down shortly. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Hmm. And by chance, somebody say by chance. <laughs> Somebody said, by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Hmm. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him. He, this is not, I didn't see you. He looked on him, but in our, in our modern day terms, we say he unlooked. So he first looked, then he unlooked. And when he was at the place, came, looked on him. And passed by on the other side. Hmm. Verse 3, 33. 33. It says, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He had compassion on him. Hmm. 34. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own beast. So, in today's word, I say, put him in his own car, all right, and brought him to an inn. So, in today's word, took him to an hospital. Took care of him, verse 35. Hmm. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence. So, having done initial first step, having done a compassionate care of delivery to the, to the proper health caregivers, he now reached out into his pocket and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him. Whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again. So I'm not done here. When I come again, I will repay thee. 
Verse 36, Jesus poses the question back. Which now of these three? On paper, on paper, if you have not read the story. Someone going from Jerusalem to Jericho, attacked by thieves, half dead. Was met by a priest, met by a Levite, met by a Samaritan. Who was his neighbor? On paper, on paper, on paper. You might choose priest, you might choose Levite. I'm sure nobody's choosing Samaritan. But having this context, Jesus shows up in verse 36. Which one thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Verse 37, and the last one we read for now. And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Glory to God. Glory to God. I am trusting the Lord that in the time we have left, his word will reach us powerfully. That we will be changed by his word in the name of Jesus. Now, interestingly, thanks to this story, this how many verses? About eight verses captured across the Gospels. The documentation, the average society has about Samaritans is in our law books. In our law books, for instance, even in atheist societies, societies that do not believe there is God, societies that believe that God does not exist, God, they are in most legal systems. There are two clauses that draw, there are pro probably more, all right, but I'm just mentioning two. That's that take their foundations aright from scriptures. Number one, which has become common in this era of pandemics in the insurance industry is something in legal terms called an act of God. I'm sure you've read it before. An act of God. Meaning that you, you cannot trace the causality of this to any other thing. This is just a, a complete, unpredictable, unmeditated it's not a random emergency. This is an act of God. The second is what we have today called good Samaritan laws. Most, most, most constitutions have it. But it's interesting that Samaritans were never considered good. Remember, Jesus says to us, he says to, to you and to me, it is given to us to understand not just the story, but the mysteries of the kingdom. He says hearing, so everybody has heard, everybody has seen he says, but there is something called perception. There is something called supernatural understanding. There is something called revelation, knowledge. And that is God's desire for you and I this morning. Not just to read another story. Hmm. So Jesus begins to introduce us to the concept of this person who was the neighbor that showed mercy. Who was the unlikely vessel that God used to communicate mercy. So the big question is, what's the big deal with Samaritans? What's the, what really is the big deal with Samaritans? And I've titled this morning's conversation, God doesn't do stereotypes. God doesn't do stereotypes. I need you to say it loudly where you are. God doesn't do stereotypes. Someone needs to type it there in the chat. God doesn't do stereotypes. When you MPD, you can just type, give us easier spelling. Why are you going to type stereo? <laughs> All right, whatever spelling you spell there, you, you know the intention is clear. Glory to God. God doesn't do stereotypes. Across scriptures, in the Gospels, we have three Samaritans. And Jesus deliberately paints them in excellent light. Excellent light. The first one, which is the one we've read, is the good Samaritan. That's where a priest was not useful. Where a Levite could not show mercy. There was an unlikely individual who had no business showing mercy, but was moved not just with initial compassion, but with something called follow-through. So to it that this person was delivered to a place for continued care and says, I will come again. Whatever additional investments are made to the restoration of this person i do not know this person listen that when this person gets well and sees me this person might not even greet me this person as a, how do i know he says the man left from jerusalem a jew he might get up and say oh i thought i was dead how much is my bill and they say well, well your bill is fifty thousand dollars because you have no oip <laughs> he says but guess what someone paid for it so someone paid for it. He said it's paid in full. So, glory to someone is getting where we are going to. 
He says he's paid it for. He said, who paid for it? Maybe when he was unconscious, he saw someone with a, with a collar. He said, he must have been the priest. Bless you, Rabbi. Shalom, shalom, Shabbat. Or maybe it was the Levite. And they said, well, this person has actually decided to remain anonymous. He said, no, I insist. I want to see the name. And you just saw the, the, maybe the card receipt. Saw the first name. As a bloody Samaritan. Is he not someone that is alive that can call somebody? <laughs> oh, glory to God. So we can see the mindset of Christ here. Please follow me this morning. He introduces us to this unlikely vessel through whom mercy is communicated. In Luke chapter 10. Another account in Luke chapter 17 introduces us to a group. I think we should read this one. Luke chapter 17. Let's read two verses, 17 and 18. And Jesus answering, were there not ten cleansed? So there, there were ten lepers who had come unto Jesus. And Jesus had given an instruction. He said, go, show yourself to the priests. And as they were going, scripture tells us that they began to notice that they were being cleansed as they moved. And then they, they had done the math. By the time we get to the priest, we will have been completely cleansed and we will have a confirmation of our miracle. But there was one, one who said, hey, 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 I know I'm going there, but by the time I get to the priests, I don't know if I'm going to meet this man who, who God has used as a tool to bring my deliverance. And one, I'm sure the other nine saw him turning back. And they are wondering, what, what are you doing? Where are you going to? He says, I'm going to say thank you. They're like, boy, have you not been a leper enough? Have you not been a leper enough? Come on, let's go. And he says, no, I'm going to say thank you. And Jesus said, that means Jesus was looking forward to, to the one and he, he, he made it clear to us. Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Verse 18. It says, they are not found that returned to give glory to God. Save this stranger. The Samaritan. So, what are the words we found so far? Stranger. Stranger. I, I think the most popular Samaritan in scripture is the lady at the well. An awesome, amazing lady. That the more you study that story, the more you see how critical she was to the move of God's spirit. She was the very first official evangelist in Samaria before Philip showed up in Acts chapter 8. She was the very first. And God did not look at the fact that she had been married five times. And somebody needs to remind themselves that God does not do stereotypes. God does not do stereotypes. Alright, so let's go on a very quick journey so that this can make a lot of sense to us. What exactly is going on in the mind of the Father? Remember, it is unto me, unto you, to understand the mysteries. Others outside can read the story, but the desire of Christ is that you and I will understand the mystery. So the big question is, who exactly are these Samaritans? And now did they become strangers? What does scripture tell us about Samaritans? Why is it that the priests, the Levites were considered to be likely and the Samaritan was considered unlikely? Why was it that 10 lepers were healed? He said just this stranger. It, it, it's very likely that we can infer that the other nine were Jews and it was the stranger who deemed it fit. At the risk of, if it is my going that causes this thing to cleanse, he risked it enough. If my going back will bring it back anyways, I will get to the one who will release the word. If need be, he will release the word again, but I'll have given him gratitude. And then I can still go show myself to the priest. That was his thinking. Who exactly are these guys? Who are these Samaritans? Who are these Samaritans? Let's go to scriptures to get some insights. The number one insight we want to get about Samaritans is that they considered Jacob to be their father. So, where do we see that? John chapter 4, verse 12. John chapter 4, verse 12. Are thou greater than our father, Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle, if Jacob is your father and we Jews 
Jacob is our father, Israel. Come. I am a stranger to you. How come it is unexpected? Let's look at the next thing. That there was there was tension, tension, solid tension between the average Jew and the average Samaritan. Let's go to verse 9. John chapter 4, verse 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, unto Jesus. How is it? She, she was this was genuine concern. How come that you being a Jew, you're asking a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? The reason why she's spelling it out is if you've not been able to figure it out from my appearance, if something about me doesn't validate your stereotypes, let me spell it out to you that I am not the kind of person heaven should be having a conversation with. I am not the kind of person God should be setting up to influence the globe. Not me, definitely not me. And some of us have gotten to a point where we are saying, God, I don't know if you know who you are talking to. All these great and mighty plans you are talking about, let me just remind you. In case you've forgotten, this is who I used to be. I know I'm not that person now, but God, I have a list of people. I have a list of better persons. I have a list of better voices. I have a list of better looking people. I have a list of better speaking people. I have a list of better behaved people. I have a list of people who have better street credibility. People that when they go back to their streets, when they go back to their schools, when they go on social media, they have, they have, they have credibility. Not me. Everybody knows me. Everybody knows my past. He says, how come? Did you miss? Is it what I was wearing? What is it the makeup? What? Why can't you just see that I am a Samaritan? We shouldn't be having this conversation. I'm sure Jesus said, hey, the Father has come to you. There's a job that will be done in Samaria. You are the choice vessel to go to that job. This was not even about physical water. This was about a living spring, a flow, an everlasting flow. What a woman. What a woman. And, and, and I don't know who under the sound of my voice, you've made poor choices. But it doesn't change the fact that God still considers you golden. God still considers you special. You are not the choices you have made. You are who God has created you to be. I need that to settle in someone's act. You are not the bad choices. You are not the poor choices you've made. You are who God has created you to be. Somebody say glory to God. Alright. So, these Samaritans considered themselves to be descendants of Jacob. However, somehow, somehow, there was tension that existed be between the average Jew and the average Samaritan. So, are you ready for us together to investigate this? This is going to help you. This is not just Bible history 101. Remember, this is how we build our confidence. We dig out truths from his word. We find out beyond the stories, the true mysteries, and then there is that re-communication of life to you. That, wow, this is what God is doing in this season. This is why God can pick someone like me. This is why God can show up to someone like Gideon. And can call him thou mighty man of valor. And, and Gideon is like, who else is here? God says, it's you. I don't do stereotypes. I don't know which is under the sound of my voice. I pray that this will not just be words. But this will be spirits that will cause a burning and a stirring up in your hearts. That everything God has raised you for in this season, everything God has called you to do, that you have found good reasons to excuse yourself out of, that by the grace and by the mercy of God, you will be reinstated into his master plan. In the mighty name of Jesus. Glory to God. All right. So if we want to understand the history of Samaritans, we have to go way back. Somebody say, go way back. All right. You, you, you think I can, I can hear you? Somebody say, go way back. It's the kids that really obey fully. As I'm doing my hand like this, they are doing their hands like this. So kids, if the adults, there's a simplicity of this gospel that adults overprocess. So kids, can we do this together? We've got to go way back. <laughs> Glory to God. So let's travel all the way back to 1 Kings chapter 12. The Bible tells us, I mean, everybody's familiar with this, the ordained king. When the Israelites started crying out for a king, was Saul. Saul could not walk in obedience. And God, the way he ripped the garment of Saul, God said, of Samuel, God said, I have divided the kingdom. I've given it to another better than you. The one better than him was David. David was crowned and installed king over Israel. 
it was the epitome of the perfect kingship till tomorrow. King David, they don't joke with him. Star everything, David, 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 David. And then all the messianic prophecies came to con confirm that there will be a root of David, a root of David, a root of David, a root of David. So David had a son. He had many sons. But he had a son. A very wise son. A very, very, very wise son. By the name King Solomon. I'm making it simple so that you will see exactly what is going on. Solomon also had a son. A very, very, very not too wise son. Because this story actually begins with this son that was not very, very wise. He was not very, very wise. And sometimes someone is wondering, how can the wisest man who ever lived produce a son that is not as wise? Should we answer that today or answer that next time? Let me see if I can hear you. Okay, someone said next time. Okay, so we answer it next time. Let's see if the Spirit of God takes us in that direction. We will definitely go. So let's go to 1 Kings chapter 12. I'll read very quickly from verse 16 and 17. Just speak a few verses. So this is not story to you. You see that this is God's word. It says, so when all Israel saw that the king erkined not unto them, the people answered the king saying, what portion have we in David? Now, let me give you context to this. Solomon, the mighty wise king, was now dead. His son, Rehoboam, was now king, reigning in his stead. So the people came and said, boy, I'm sure they came in panting. They said, King Rehoboam, long live the king. We just conducted this survey, you know, online survey. And though your father's kingdom was very prosperous, it was at the expense of our lives. See, our blood ran those factories. Our future inheritance built those edifices. We just want to know, is it business as usual? Or will you even cut us a little bit of slack, a bit? You know, this 13% tax, will you make it 12.5? All right, people in Ontario got that. People in Ontario got that. Will you, will you, this, let me, let me, let me connect to our, to our folks there. This petrol price, are you about to pump it up or are you about to bring it down? What exactly is going to happen? This school fees for the kids, we've been paying through our noses. Are you going to do something about this? They had very legitimate human questions. Solomon had driven them solidly. And Rehoboam did the initial wise thing to do. He said, come back. I won't give you an answer right now. Let me go consult. Let me tell you, any consultation that will not be a wise consult is equally a waste of time. So what's the wisdom there? If you are going to consult, the Bible tells us in the multitude of counselors, there is what? There is safety. There is safety. You know, I used to read this story for many years, thinking that Rehoboam was a young guy and he just went to meet, meet some riffraffs. When you check how old he was when he was reigning and the people he went to meet, they were not kids. They were just unwise. They were just unwise. Are you still with me this morning? Are we still together this morning? So, Rehoboam listened to the guys who counseled his father. The brains behind the economic prosperity that they saw in the kingdom of Israel. From Dan to Beersheba. From, from north to south. Everywhere. Prosperity. Yes, it was a bit tough on you, but the guys that counseled your father said, now we've, we've built this thing to the point of sustainability. Let's ease things a bit. This bank lending rate, let's ease it a bit. Let's allow people to be, to be able to take mortgages. Let's allow them to be able to buy houses. Let's bring scholarship schemes. Let their children be able to go to school. So I said, how do you know? I was there. I was there. So Rebam said, okay, 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 I've heard, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard. And then he went to the other guys. The ones who were, who were not going to church when he wasn't going to church. <laughs> I said, guys, what are we going to do? Government is now in our hands. Hey, I'm sure they started dancing. They think percent and they are complaining. Tell them we're about to make it 50% tax. Rehoboam said, ah, is that not too much? Let's make that for the very rich. So everybody, everybody will pay it. You are the king. They will do what you say. It just don't do him. I'm actually the king. They will do what I say. So he went back. 
to the people, you Israelites, I have heard. How do I not have husky voice? When people are lacking in confidence, they compensate for it with physical attributes. That don't make sense. So I'm sure he spoke like this. Yeah, Israelites. Trying to feign confidence. Yeah, Israelites. I have decided. I read you. But this is the decree of the king, Rehoboam the first. The son of Solomon, the son of David. Hmm. Should they move back? Son of David, yes. It is not about to get better. They asked him, are you sure? Going once? No, no, no. Going twice? Going twice? Boom. So that is what leads us to verse 16, verse 17. They said, if that is the case, goodbye, son of David. See you later. Verse 17. But as for the children of Israel, please follow, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. So this was confirmation of a prophecy that had been given by the man of God, Ahijah, to a man named Jeroboam. Saying, get ready. When Solomon is gone, the kingdom will, divide, will be divided. You will become king. But because of my covenant with David, there will always be a king on his throne. So the people went to look for Jeroboam. This is what Rehoboam has said. Even though your names sound alike, he has no sense. Even though his father was very wise, he, he obviously didn't read Proverbs. He wasn't into it. He wasn't into wisdom at all. At all, as is now evident, he wasn't into it. So, what do we do? He said, you rule over us, and then let him rule wherever he wants to rule, do whatever he wants to do. Let's jump down, pick a few more verses, and then we, remember, we are going back to the story of the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Hmm. Verse 20 and 21, the same chapter, 20 and 21. It says, and it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again. So come again, someone say, where did he go? So when Solomon heard that prophecy, he sought to kill Jeroboam, he ran away to Egypt. When he heard Solomon was dead, he came back. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> See, God's word is sweet. That they sent and called him unto the congregation and made him king over Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. Verse 21 now tells us, And when, Jerob, when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled the house of Judah. He now tells us another tribe joined with the tribe of Benjamin, hundred and four score, four score thousand chosen men, which were warriors, to fight against the house of Israel. So you can see that he had very terrible advisors. You've just made terrible policy. The people have responded by forming an alternative government, and your response is war. To bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So let's jump to verse 25 to see how this story kind of materializes. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and built Penuel. I don't know if I can come to this side. So this is the moment where the kingdom of Israel was divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Please follow. Don't just, these, these things are not tales by moonlight. They contain secrets for your life. Secrets for my life. The northern kingdom ruled by Jeroboam, which going forward was known as Israel. Or the code name was Ephraim. There were ten tribes, as we saw in scripture. The southern kingdom was Judah and Bethlehem. Two tribes. Or the code name Judah. All right. So David's descendants constantly ruled in Judah. Jeroboam ruled in Israel. I can't say Jeroboam's descendants because there was no covenant there. Please follow. There was no covenant. So there was no guarantee that it has to be Jeroboam's son. And if you follow the, the, the trend of kings in the northern kingdom, it was assassinations to become king. Cool to become king. But down south, whether they served God or not, there was a covenant strong and powerful enough that there was always a descendant on the throne. On the throne. Somebody say glory to God. Somebody say glory to God. Somebody say this morning is Bible history. And I'm enjoying it. Yes, you enjoy it. We'll still come back very shortly to where exactly it is the rubber hits the road. So here, we are the northern kingdom, we are the southern kingdom. Somebody say, PD, how does this concern Samaria? What is where do the Samaritans come in here? All right, we're going to begin to tie it together. This history is important. 
So Jeroboam was there thinking, I have a new kingdom. There is a king down south. I am king here up north. King of the north. Does that ring a bell? Okay, let's go on this morning. So Jeroboam was king of the north and he was ruling from Shechem. But he just thought one day, hmm, when it is time for some very key festivals, feasts of tabernacles, feasts of Passover, feasts of ingatherings, these people will want to go to Jerusalem. Someone is understanding the question of the woman at the well now. These people will want to go to Jerusalem to go worship because that is where David exalted Zion. And that is where the Ark of Covenant sat in the city of David on Mount Zion. So Jeroboam had this brilliant idea. Hmm. If they always have to travel back, Rehoboam doesn't even need to tease them. All he needs to do is to plan something around the festival. Since all of them are coming down to worship, just regather them. He says we have to duplicate a worship site in this northern kingdom. Where better than Bethel? Ah! Too many strong, strong components. You, you can see why it is not given to them outside. It is given to you. And I pray for you that these are not just words. In the mighty name of Jesus, some of us will need to revisit this teaching. Some of us will need to revisit this teaching. And you see how God is so done with stereotypes. How God is so done because remember, his, his commitment is for the advancement of his kingdom. And for his kingdom to advance, I don't know if I'm jumping the gun a bit now. God's plan, God's kingdom is for the ends of the earth. I think I'm jumping the gun now, but I feel a release too. And according to that blueprint in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says that you will receive power. You will need power to, for you to execute this. If you are going to bypass stereotypes, power will be involved. But it's not force. It's not the army of Rehoboam. It's going to be power by my spirit. That power will enable you to be witnesses. Yes, you will begin in Jerusalem, in Judea. It says, but the goal is the utmost part of the earth. I need you to begin to think that my kingdom will require you to go global, to go across cultures, to reach people across fairs. However, you must pass the test of Samaria. The test of the strangers you don't like. The test of the stereotypes your doctrine does not agree with. The test of the people you know you will never talk to again, ever. I'll rather talk to... It says, you ain't going no global. Forget the utmost part of the earth if you can't win the battle of Samaria. And Jesus knew Samaria will be tough for them. So Jesus went there himself and he started the conversation and he raised an unlikely evangelist, a lady with a bad track record, just to let someone know that God is done with stereotypes. He's raising unlikely vessels in this season that will break the molds. That they won't look the way you want them to look. They might not dress as dignifying as Speedy is dressing. They might not sound as convincing as a pastor should sound. But God is saying in this time and season, I am breaking stereotypes. I am raising the unlikely. The goal is the ends of the earth. But we must pass the test of Samaria. Glory to God. I said glory to God. Are you still in church this morning? <laughs> Boy, this skill set of preaching to an empty room. It is well in Jesus' name. But I can see you, I can feel you. I can see you and I can feel you. Glory to God. You know, it felt a bit nicer when the production team were in the room. They've created a nice, I'm reporting them now. They've created a nice office for themselves in the nice control room. All right, so it's just me here. All right, and the wonderful, wonderful vessel switching the scriptures. Glory to God. They just came out and said, PD, we still we are with you. I know you are with me. Glory to God. Okay, let's, let's go back to Bible history now. Let's go back to Bible history. So Jer Jeroboam ruled in the north. Jeroboam ruled in the south. Constantly, there was a descendant of David ruling in the south. Israel got really bad. By Israel, I mean the north. They got really bad. Jeroboam, Jeroboam went to town. He went to town. Every idol he could find. It was just, you know, doing, he forgot that it was the word of prophecy that planted him there. But any, any idol he could find, he just brought it there. Anything that was worshipable, he just brought it there. And told the people, this is your God, so you don't have no business going to Jerusalem. You stay here, you worship here. You stay here, you worship here. And then he served, 
he thought he would hand over to his children. They will kill this one, kill that one. Somebody will create themselves as kings. Someone said, PD, we get you. Samaritans. Okay, so where does Samaria come in from? Let's go to First Kings chapter 16. First Kings, the word of God is sweet. Sweeter than your series. Sweeter than your shows. If only you will sit down with it. <laughs> David said, I have esteemed your word more than my necessary meal. He's saying, but rather than the movies, I will stay on your word. Rather than a new subscription, I will renew your word. I will go from Genesis to Revelation, guess what? And then I will start again. These are those that will deal with mysteries. You, you, you can't just scroll and expect light to dawn. You are joking. Just PD has the rev. Hey, other people, let's just go to God's word. First Kings chapter 16, verse 23 and 24. It says, in the 30 and first year of Asa, king of Judah. Now that makes sense to us. King of Judah, you now know it means king of the southern kingdom. And that also means Asa definitely was a descendant of David. Began Omri, but we cannot say definitely <laughs> that Omri was a descendant of Jeroboam. He says he began to reign over Israel, meaning the northern kingdom. Twelve years, six years reigned in Terza. Somebody say Terza. I was a PD. should have told us to bring Map to church today. Shechem, Bethel, Terza, Saika, Samaria, Jerusalem, Judah, Ephraim. Where else have we mentioned in this service? Dan, Bresheba. PD just give us Map. Should have called this sermon geography, Bible geography. <laughs> Glory to God. But just stay with me. It will begin to add up now. So this guy, Omri, was a military commander who became king by a coup in the not definitely in the northern kingdom. And he decided, remember, he told us in chapter 12 that Jeroboam settled in Shechem. He made Shechem his government house. Terza was in the side of Shechem. That was where the initial government house was. So this guy, a military commander, Omri, said, I don't want the government house to remain in Terza. I'm moving it from Shechem and I'm building a new city. So, what is this new city? Verse 24. 1 Kings 16, 24. And he bought the hill of Samaria, of Shema, for two talents of silver and built on the hill. The attempt was to simulate Zion. Oh, oh boy, oh boy. And called the name of the city which he built after the name of Shema, owner of the hill, he called it Samaria. He named it Samaria. The government house of the northern kingdom had been moved to Samaria. These were the ten tribes, remember? They were now the Samarians. Maybe we shouldn't call them Samaritans yet because they were just Samarians at this point. So, is it true that someone from Judah and Bethlehem will see someone from Naphtali or from Zebulon or from Issachar and not reckon them as their brother? Where exactly did this enmity come from? How do you see a Samaritan and call them stranger and this person says, our father Jacob and you, and you don't say, no, don't say your father Jacob because you know Jacob is their father but we are still strangers. So we've, we've traced Samaria to its origin, but we need to trace this enmity. Why are we tracing it? Because getting to the ends of the earth determines or hinges upon passing the test of stereotypes. Hmm. All right. So, so understand this. Please don't get tired of me. Remember God is growing us. God is growing us. Amen. Little children, your sins are forgiven. Young ones, you have overcome the world. You are strong because of the world. Fathers, you have known the one who is from the beginning. So, when you see us going beginnings, beginnings, it is because God is beckoning us to a place of maturity. Not bread and butter Sunday service that you just jump and go home. You've forgotten all what you learned. There is nothing to hold on to. Alright? God is growing us here solidly to the glory of his name. Glory to God. I said glory to God. So, Let's, let's, let's listen to Moses a bit. Moses looks at the people and says, if you will obey God, he will bless you. He will bless your water. He will bless your bread. He will bless your womb. He will bless your fruits. He will bless your crops. In fact, Moses had the audacity to tell them, 
there will be no nation on earth like you. None ever before, present, future like you. If you will obey the Lord and hold on to his covenant. He says, if you do not obey, if you do not obey, he says, strangers will come and carry you and your children to another land. Not, to, not, not excursion, not to go and snap pictures and take selfies in their blue waters or transparent beaches and with white sand. No. He says, you go there as bond men, bond servants to serve. Moses knew deep down in his heart. These people, these, these God's people, when God told Moses, your people, Moses said, no, God, they are your people. So eventually, eventually, the northern kingdom sinned so much, they were taken captives. The southern kingdom learned the ways of the northern kingdom. Hmm. Shall I say this? I sense I should say this. Child of God, the blessing of the Lord and an extension of his grace in your life must, must be committed to advancing his kingdom. I will say that again. The blessing of the Lord and the increase he's bringing upon your life must be committed to advancing his kingdom. I think it was last week or last two weeks we said this. Every silver and gold that is not used to honor God will be used to build a golden calf. You will bow suddenly at another altar. Why am I saying this? The Bible tells us of a king. I was going to say, Israel got so bad, Jeroboam was the standard for wickedness of kings. But there was a king that said, Jeroboam, hold my coffee. You think you've worshipped idols? Have you burnt your own children in the fire? Jeroboam said, hey, I know I bow down to strange gods, but that one, I couldn't do it. I, I was able to bring altars and strange demons to the land. Yes, yes. Don't blame me. We didn't have Jerusalem. And this king said, we, we have Jerusalem. But watch me desecrate. Watch me take my own son. This king said, I want to make Jeroboam a blast from the past. I want to epitomize the wickedness of wickedness of wickedness of wickednesses. What was his name? His name was King Manasseh. He was king in Judah, in Jerusalem. Guess whose son he was? The son of Ezekiah. Guess what age he became king? He was born in Ezekiah's extra 15 years. Don't make God regret his blessing over your life. Two life-changing events happened in Ezekiah's extra 15 years. Number one, he refused intercession that could have saved the generation. He received guests from Babylon, showed them everything. And those ones were just looking, coming back. <laughs> coming back for this coming back for this. He gave birth to a son he did not have time to train. By the time Manasseh became king, if for some of you now, you want to go back and check your Bible to be sure that Ezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was that bad. And you know Ezekiah was that good. Ezekiah is the one the prophet came to and said, put your house in order. And he turned to the world and said, God, you know, I have served you faithfully. Alright. So, the northern kingdom took captive. Southern kingdom took captive. Different times, different captors. So when the northern guys were taken captive, they were taken captive to Assyria. Assyria. When the southern kingdom were taken captive, they were taken captive to Babylon. We know the story. I believe we know the story. So let's see 2 Kings chapter 17 from verse 22. I will summarize at this point so that we can go back to the essence of the meat of the matter of what God is doing as he's bypassing stereotypes in this season. He says, the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did, they departed not from them, until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets. They were warned, 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 warned. So was Israel carried their way out of their own lands to Assyria unto this day. That's deep. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Kutha and from Ava and from Anak and from Sufarvaim and placed them in the cities pay attention. Placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they possessed Samaria and they dwell in the cities thereof. So the Jews seeing this apple said, 
the guys up there are no longer our brothers. This is now a mixed tribe. We can't even call them Samarians again. We, we must now call them Samaritans. How do I know this? If you read that same chapter, it tells us that things got so bad, all these people that the king of Assyria brought, they brought their own god. This one brought this god, and the god could do storms. This one brought their own gods. This one. So there was now like conference of gods in Israel. Conference of gods in Bethel. So they started mixing all sorts, intermarrying, building, doing stuff. It was so bad. He said, lions showed up. Lions showed up, began to devour the people. They wrote all the round to the king. They said, before we strangers came to this land, there was a God that these people served before they disobeyed him. He said, what we are doing now, their God does not like it. This strangeness is from their God. What did the king of Assyria do? He sent priests, Levites, to Samaria. <laughs> boy, oh boy. To teach them the way of the God of Israel. But it tells us that they continued with their mixed religion. Mixed religion. They did that for many years until the average Jew would not identify someone from up there. Even the language, the accent. You can't be my brother. You guys worship all sorts. <laughs> we are, it's not like we are better down south. But we have preserved the core. We still know the law. We still know the Torah. We still know the Pentateuch. In fact, they had a modified Samaritan Pentateuch up there. It's in your Bible. Glory to God. Glory to God. Okay, one more note of history and then we'll go back to Luke chapter 10. Thank you for joining me on this journey. I'm sure that you are now a professor of Bible history and Judeo-Israelian anthropology. Woo! You guys deserve, everybody tuning in today deserves a certificate. Alright? And you can add it to your CV. Glory to God. Let's begin to tie this up. Ezra chapter 4, verse 17 and 21. Ezra chapter 4, verse 17 and verse 21. The book of Ezra begins with the fulfillment of one of the prophecies of Isaiah. That there will be a king who will, by decree, restore the Jews. Now, the Jews were no longer everybody. It was just the southern kingdom in Judah, that reckoned themselves as real Jews. The ones up there, they've been thoroughly defiled. We can't reckon with them. So, the Jews had been sent back to rebuild. Ezra documented all of this by the edict of King Cyrus. We have been asked to build. So, as they were getting back to build, they met some people in the land. They met some people in the land. They met Samaritans in the land. And the Samaritans offered to help. And the priests and the Levites said, no, you cannot join us in building for our God. So the Samaritans fought them. Fought them, fought them. They became their enemies. Can we read Ezra 4, 17 to 21? Or if you are taking notes, just write it down. It is Bible history. So do your research. Ezra chapter 4, verse 17 to 21. But it tells us that these enemies of the Jews successfully hindered the work. Successfully hindered the work. What exactly is the lesson for you and I? This is where we wrap it up. Pray lessons and we pray. Pray lessons and we pray. In this season, somebody needs to write this down. What stereotypes is God particularly bypassing? What, what is God fixing? What was the error of, of the returning Jews and the remnant Samaritans that God is fixing in this age and time, remember the prophecy. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You will be my witnesses in Judea. You will be my witnesses in Samaria. Then, the utmost part of the world. We are thinking global, reaching global, but we can't impact the globe because we've not passed the tests of stereotypes. The people that don't look like they should look, the people that don't sound Christianly enough, the people that have had ex-relationships, people that have multiple pronouns in their bio they don't look like anybody god can talk to god can speak to and god is saying if you are going to reach the earth for me you are going to have to pass the test of samaria yes you might call them mixed blood yes you might call them strangers yes you might call them but god calls them good god calls them sanctified god calls them part of his beloved and god says if you are going to reach the ends of the earth you're going to have to pass these stereotypes three stereotypes that God is bypassing in this season. Please write it down. 
Number one, God is bypassing religion. God is bypassing religion. What that means is if your plan in this season is to hold on to religion, you have missed the, you have missed the move of God. God is bypassing religion. He says the priest came. The priest came and went to the other side. God is bypassing religion in this season because his goal is his kingdom and the kingdoms, the, the, the outcome of the prophecy is that the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdom of our God. Not the kingdom of southern, not the kingdom of Jews, the kingdom of this world. However, for us to get there, we must pass the test of Samaria. There will be evangelists who will have not just one ex-husband, not just two ex-husbands, not just three ex-husbands, but they'll be on fire for Jesus because you with your one monogamous relationship, you've won no soul. But the lady with five ex-husbands has gone and taken the city and she said, come and see. Come and see the man. There are people who God will begin to take the mics from the religious ones and begin to give it to them. I said, give them your message. He says, come and see the man. Come and see the man. Come and see the man who told me. Come and see the man. The other Jews were going to the priest like, we are the ones that should be here anyways. We know the way to the priest in Jerusalem. That one turned back and said, I'm going to say thank you. I, I don't know if you will figure out how we will go back and find the priest. The nine Jews that know the way to Jerusalem have gone and you came back. Guess what? It says that you have now become, you've become all. They, are, they need to go show up to the priest. Maybe that leprosy can show up again. It says, but you become all. You still need certificate from priests. Go get your certificate. But your wholeness is complete. You came back. Number one, God is bypassing religion. Number two, God is bypassing formal positions to raise leaders of influence. God is raising, let me rephrase that. God is raising leaders that will influence the globe without necessarily having formal positions. They might never have title. You might, they might, you might not even find them worthy of being called brother or sister let alone minister or elder or evangelist, let alone pastor, that's big, prophet, apostle, evan you will not be able to give them titles, but they won't need the titles. It says the Levites came. The one who understood the ordinances. The one who understood the protocol. There was no mercy found there. He stepped aside. So God says, bypassing religion, and then I'm bypassing formality. I'm going to raise leaders. And I believe I'm speaking prophetically to a generation. The Lord says he's going to raise leaders. He's going to raise you. I know you have your reasons of why it should not be you. God says, I have my reason why it is you. The goal is the ends of the earth. And we, mu we must... I, broke I like the way he says, Jesus said, I must pass through Samaria. I must. There were many ways he could have gone through in John chapter 4. There, there was need for him to go there. Because he needed to start a walk. He needed to start a walk there. He needed to start a walk there. Glory to God. Glory to God. You can bring the strings up a bit. Number one is bypassing religion. Number two is bypassing formality, formal positions. Formal positions and is raising leaders of influence. And number three, God is raising an unlikely new breed. God is raising an unlikely new breed. And I've come to announce to you under the sound of my voice. I've come to announce to you under the sound of my voice. You are the one God is raising in this season. I know you have your needs. You have your petitions. You have your desires. You have everything. You are saying, God, this is what I want to talk about. What is saying? When will, we, when will we talk about what I want to talk about? When will we talk about what I want to talk about? Yeah, I see your family. I see your wife. I see your husband. I see your need for children. I see your need for this. I see all of that. What God says... I need you for a bigger purpose. And you're saying, God, not me. <laughs> you say, God, you have a good sense of humor. <laughs> have you forgotten who I am? Have you forgotten where I was when you picked me, when you saved me? Have you forgotten my past histories? Have you forgotten that they know me on these streets? They know me. Not me. And some of us have volunteered to become recruitment agency for heaven. Say, God, if you don't know how to pick people, let me recommend. You want people from KICC, right? I know who you should use. People that wake up at five. Hmm? Go and check them. Those are the serious ones. Just leave me. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. I mean, I love you. I'll read your word. I'll study your word. But 
I just came here to get some water for crying out loud. I, I don't need all this drama. I'm just here for water anyways. I'm here to fetch in noonday. I don't want to see anyone. I don't want anyone to see me. I just want my buckets full and to go back to my house. I just want to stream the sermon on YouTube and go back to my fears. I just want to be a nice, coded, faithful member of a church. I will pay my tithes, yes. I will pay my offering, yes. But God, I don't know what else. What, what more can you want from me? I'm not the kind you use. I'm not the type you raise. You want me to heal? <laughs> you want me to be healing minister for you? And this simple, simple symptom in my body, you can't heal it. I, you are telling me you want to... <laughs> which nations? You want to use my voice? And you say you want to use me to speak to generations? And we can't even fix this, this, this issue, this small issue. God, please, go somewhere else. Your grace has found me just as I am. In the presence of your majesty. Majesty. You have been commissioned by the king. Empowered by the king. Endued with power by the king. Is raising you for the ends of the earth, but you are going through Samaria. I don't know what I'm speaking to this morning. It's time to let go of every stereotype, it's time to let go of every mental barrier, it's time to stop convincing God why it shouldn't be you. And like Jacob, you will say, I might have a hollow tie, but I know my name has been changed. I want to use the basis. Come on now, I don't know who needs to hear this, but healing anointing can flow through you. The way that body is still designed. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's all about what he wants to do. God is saying, I can use this same story you want to delete. I can use it to win thousands globally. It's your grace. Your grace has found me just as I am. Come on, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. God is bypassing religion, bypassing formal positions to raise leaders and influencers. By influencers, I don't mean advertisers or social media influencers. I mean people who, by the Spirit, can cause change, real change in the lives of people. That's biblical influence. And God is raising an unlikely bread. I wrote in my notes here, if you don't pass the test of Samaria, you can't reach the ends of the earth. You can't go global. You can't go, go global. Let's end this morning with the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10 to 12. Isaiah chapter 10, Isaiah chapter 11, pardon me. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10 and verse 12. I believe it is on your screen. It says, and in that day, there shall be a root of Jason, not real one. Not dividers. The root of Jesse. It's talking about Christ. Which shall stand for an ensign of the people. Hmm. To it shall the Gentiles seek. And his rest shall be glorious. Verse 11. And it shall come to pass in that day. That the Lord shall set his hand again. The second time. To recover the remnant of his people. Which shall be left from Assyria. Now you know who went to Assyria. From Egypt. You know who went to Egypt? From Pathos. From Cush. From Africa. From Elam. From China. The plains of Babylon. From Anath. And from the islands of the sea. It's raising unlikely. In your books, they are unqualified. In your books, they didn't go to Bible school. In your books, they didn't attend Sunday school. In your books, they don't even know Bible. <laughs> Hey, but God says I'm raising them. The difference will be my power. I am engracing them with my power. Come on in 60 seconds, wherever you are this morning. Let's just thank God for his word and say thank you, Father, because you have chosen in your wisdom 
by your ability, by your grace, by your power to raise me for such a time as this? My answer is yes. It will not be by power. It will not be by might. It will be by your spirit. It will be obvious that this is not me at work. It will be obvious that I do not have the qualifications for this. It will be obvious that this is the power of the Holy Spirit at work. That the only reason why the globe is hearing this voice is because God has decided to overlook these stereotypes. He's saying, I can pick a boy from that village. I can pick a girl from that background. I can pick a man from that from that corner, from that place of not being known at all. And I can raise them as a voice to the nations. Come and say, here I am. I am endued with power from an eye. I am endued. I am equipped for the next season of this move of the Spirit. Thank you, gracious Father, for filling your children with your power. Praise and honor be unto your name. For in Jesus' name we have prayed. If you can raise the cymbals a bit and the strings a bit. I want to speak Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2 over the life of everyone under the sound of my voice. As many will agree that this is me. I am the one God is raising for such a time as this. It might not be everybody. I don't know who I'm talking to right now. It might not be everybody. But for as many who believe, I have been raised. I have been quickened. I might not look the way you want me to look. I might not speak the way you want me to speak. My last name might not sound the way you want it to sound. But boy, has God chosen me. Glory to God. I am chosen. I am chosen. I am chosen. I am chosen. And there shall come forth a road out of the stem of Jesse. For as many who are in Christ, they are the seeds of Abraham. As many who have received justification by faith. Now are you Christ's. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. I pray and speak over your life in accordance with Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2. That the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon you. Come on, say a big amen. Is that the best you've got? I said the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon you. The spirit of wisdom shall rest upon you. The spirit of understanding shall rest upon you. The spirit of counsel shall rest upon you. The spirit of might shall quicken you from your inner man. The spirit of knowledge. The spirit of the fear of the Lord will rest upon you. It will be your portion in the name of Jesus. Come on as loudly as you can, as boldly as you can. I want you to shout it. Let your neighbors hear. I am the one chosen by the Lord. I have been raised for such a time as this. I am the one chosen. Come on, if you have kids around you, lay your hands upon your heads. You have been raised. You are anointed. You are graced. You are equipped. The power of the Lord is upon you. I am the one. We are the house. We are the family. We are the people. We are the church. Raised for such a time as this. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. I had planned to pray with as many who sense the call of God upon their lives and feel very unqualified and very disqualified. But I just got a witness from the Spirit of God. He says, I've poured fresh oil upon them. Some of you literally, we have a token. Some, not all. You feel some wetness around your forehead. It's not water, it's not oil. You just feel it there. Alright, the Lord says, I have qualified you. It doesn't matter who says you are dicks qualified or unqualified, I have qualified. So, I won't need to pray for that group again. So, just one group of persons, as we round up this morning, you've not met Jesus. You've not met Jesus. <laughs> you've not met Jesus. That is where your story begins. You're saying, but I, I, have, I am largely accomplished. I don't know who is under the sound of my voice. You are very wealthy materially. You are physically, your net worth is staggering. Yes, no doubt. Or your, your true life story begins the day you meet Jesus. I'm not inviting you to God who, of course, <laughs> you are blessed physically, materially. This is my invitation to an ATM, to a panacea that will solve all your problems. He's saying this is not, the conversation is not your problems. The conversation is, there is work for my kingdom. I am recruiting people. I want to use your story. I want, to experience, I want to use your experience. I want to say, hey, if I come to God, does he not know that this wealth, these riches I have, is not completely pure? It's not completely pure. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor, and I heavy laden, I will give you rest. 
I'll give you rest. For someone, after you make this decision today, this night will be the first night in years that you are sleeping calmly. The guilt of how, I don't know why I'm going in this direction. I don't even know who this is. But the guilt of how you acquired your wealth, it has haunted you for years. The Lord says he wants to give you peace. He wants to give you peace. For every other person, under the sound of my voice, this is how this story begins. With Christ, in Christ, for his glory. Lord Jesus, I hold my hands with your sons and your daughters making a decision for you this moment. Reckoning that you are the son of God. Reckoning that your life finds meaning in you. Their story finds essence only in you. As they believe that blood was shed for them, a perfect sacrifice was made for them. I ask that their names are blotted from the list of damnation and eternal destruction and that they are translated into the kingdom of your marvelous light. Today, they become born of your spirit. They are filled with your spirit. They receive the grace to live a life of victory. For that one who has been haunted by guilt, I speak that that burden be lifted. That burden be lifted. Let rest be released. Let them know peace. As the Prince of Peace has come to dwell, to reside in that vessel. Father, we give you the glory for these ones added to your kingdom. They will be established in you. They will serve you all the rest of their days. Thank you, gracious Father, because it is done. For in Jesus' name we are prayed. In Jesus, come on, come on, come on, come on. If you can, wherever you are, jam, jam, jam those hands together. Give the Lord a big shout. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed by the sermon. And if you would love to be a part of what God is doing in our midst, feel free to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. To be a part of the giving, you can give our email at info, I-N-F-O, at kicccanada.ca or through our website at www.kicccanada.ca slash donate. God is doing amazing things in our midst and we look forward to seeing you soon. Remember, you are a champion. God bless you.